the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And we just had a lively conversation last week with Dr. Kadiras, the author of Glow Kids and Digital Madness. And we have so much more that we want to cover with him. And we finished that show and went off air and started talking about the effect of um, adding more screens at schools because we know nationwide that the tech companies have pushed screens into the classrooms as young as kindergarten and first and second grade. And in the name of, well, this is what's going to make learning better. It's going to be individualized learning. We're going to develop these individualized programs. And um, I would like you to share with us, Dr. K, um, some of the responses that you've gotten when you've been talking to superintendents around the nation. Yeah, thank you for discussing this topic. Yeah, in my observation, actually, there's so many superintendents that have drank the Kool-Aid that more tech, more tech in younger grades is somehow going to be the panacea for uh, for all that ALV pedagogy and, and the school systems around the country. And when I speak at education conferences and you'll ask some of these superintendents who have invested huge amounts of their school's resources mm-hmm. in more, better, and pervasive tech, show me the one study that shows the pedagogical efficacy or benefit of a tablet, a Chromebook, uh, any, any device mm-hmm. in first grade leading to better outcomes in eighth grade or fifth grade in high school, any any, any benefit. Mm-hmm. And, and I usually get a humana, 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 <laughs> and well, Apple says it's good for them. And, and the perfect right. example of this, you know, the, the case study that people could look up on Google is what happened in Los Angeles. And, and uh, John Deasy was the superintendent of the Los Angeles uh, school district with over 640,000 students. And, and, you know, by all accounts, I have some friends who are who know John Deasy. I don't think he was malintended, and I don't think he was necessarily corrupt because the tech companies do a lot of whining and dining and junkets and corporate, oh, yeah. uh, like the same way the big pharma does with primary care physicians. So he was wined and dined by Apple. And, you know, if you look up uh, LA Union's uh, preschool district and the $1.3 billion iPad fiasco, um, you know, a year after they 
excess, I don't know how many uh, teachers, they invested $1.3 billion to get every child K through 12 in Los Angeles an iPad with Pearson software. And because his thinking, his faulty thinking was that to reduce the achievement gap would be to, to create a level playing field was to give every kid, wealthy or poor, a tablet. Mm-hmm. And not understanding that the research showed that children who come from poorer socioeconomic backgrounds who don't have the parental oversight do much worse with technology because they have unfettered screen time, which mm-hmm. is even worse than mm-hmm. I guess fettered screen time. Right. And uh, and so so they invest all this money, and it was the, not bid out properly. The FBI investigated it. Eventually, the the whole thing turned into a whole disaster. He resigned in disgrace. The school district sued to try to get their money back. The Pearson software wasn't flushed out. Uh, the kids were hacking into the computers and accessing porn and games. Oh, my goodness. It was just a, it was just a disaster that was a, 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 mm-hmm. almost bankrupted that district. Mm-hmm. And there's many other examples of that where, where well-meaning superintendents are just thinking that technology is going to cure their district's issues, mm-hmm. and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a human solution. It is not. And, you know, I think the way they do that isn't just through whining and dining, but their big line is... Well, we're going to provide individualized instruction, yeah, and right, they right, 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 right. That, yep. That's the phrase, right? Yep, we're that's what they use. The student where they're at, and yep, it's to be individualized. Yep, their own and page. and we use we use kind of gaming type technology where you know if they get this answer right, then it's going to go down this path. If they get this answer wrong, it's going to take them down this path, and then they're going to master that information before they move on to the next. And it sounds all so grand. Um, and so I think they really have been sold a story just like we covered mm-hmm. with the whole reading um, topic. And it is unfortunate because what I what I say to people is since technology has been introduced into our classrooms, our test scores nationally have mm-hmm. gone down, not up. Right, right. Our reading scores, right. our math scores, they continue to de- de- decline not increase, and yet we... Riddle us that. Right, riddle us that. Why is that happening? Right, Right. exactly. So it really is the great equalizer is what you're saying, Rebecca. (laughs) Just in the wrong direction. In the wrong direction, (laughs) in the wrong direction, exactly. Um, But, you know, we could could go down that path for so long, and I just, but I really, I, I wanted you to also talk about how parents are so often, and we see this at our school, thankfully when people come to our school, they usually know about our reputation and they, they trust us now. We've been open 20 years. And um, so more and more people are coming who have done some research and they kind of understand what we're about. So it was more in the early years that I would hear people. But I think you still hear this, Abigail, people mm-hmm. coming in and saying, well, why don't you have technology? You know, it seems like they're going to be behind. and um, Because right, we actually right. want our kids to be smart. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> and you had yeah. talked about how classical education is kind of an antidote to the digital media. And I know that that's kind of coming out of your second book, and we're going to cover that mm-hmm. um, in a couple months. But can you just very briefly, for our listeners who think that maybe, oh, my goodness, my child's going to be behind if I send them to a school where it's low on tech, um, as you pointed out, we've got tech giant who didn't have technology growing up and they didn't let their kids have technology growing up either. Um, so what would you say to them? Right. Steve Jobs famously didn't allow his kids to have iPads. And then, then the great minds of big tech, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who invented Google, mm-hmm. and Jeff Bezos from Amazon, where Montessori students didn't have any technology because their brains were allowed to develop organically and powerfully mm-hmm. and creatively. Mm-hmm. Thus, they were able to then apply their their genius to technology but if they were if you had dropped an, a tablet into jeff bezos's crib 
Hmm. Well, maybe we'd all be better off, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that would have been a good thing. Um, but, you know, my, and it's funny because I have teenage boys, twin boys, and my wife, being a teacher, she would walk into schools because we moved a couple of times, and she would ask them about, what's your technology? Because she was the opposite of 99% of parents. Right. If they started saying, oh, we have tablets in first place, she would just walk right out. I want there to be a classroom teacher, a Socratic circle. I don't yes. want the uh, dependence on, on that. But mm-hmm. no, so it's, a, it's a false narrative that our children are going to be behind if they don't have technology. We have to understand that the best thing to encourage are the robust learning and, and development of our kids is is a traditional education and where the classics come in and why i think it's so powerful is i'm a mental health clinician so i'm treating 17 to 30 year olds residentially in from all over the country who are entirely inequipped to live life on life's terms these are typically the average client that i treat is the failure to launch profile an 18 year old who got through high school maybe reasonably well, but had helicopter parenting where maybe the parents sort of enabled them a bit. And when they got off to college, they were ill-equipped to uh, manage their own computer time or their own, you know, live life on life's terms. So they typically would stop going to classes, wind up in their dorm room all the time on their computer, maybe self-medicating with some cannabis. Um, they, they had a very high fragility profile. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we're seeing is, and there's been books written about, you know, Angela Duckworth is the psychologist who wrote yep. the book called Grit. Yep. And then there's the book, you know, about uh, anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. So we're, Jonathan my 30,000 mm-hmm. foot view is we've created kids who are very bubble wrapped, fragile, not good critical thinkers. They don't have good resilience and grit. And really, if you look back to the classical an- antidote, and, and I, you know, I was, uh, uh, my academic training and my cultural training, you know, I'm a big fan of a classical education because it teaches things like critical thinking. And, you know, when you look at young people today who are swimming in the information overload of digital media and all the nonsense of misinformation, disinformation, my, my narrative is forget misinformation, disinformation. The onus is on the reader. The reader needs to be able to discern mm-hmm. and be able to use their God-given ability to critically think and mm-hmm. to be able to analyze data, but also to, you know, I use a, a, a philosopher, a warrior archetype, the, the wisdom, critical thinking, ethical discernment, and, and, and civic uh, responsibility of the philosopher combined with the strength, grit, and resilience of, let's call it the Spartan warrior, and mm-hmm. not just physical strength. Obviously, we're talking about right. spiritual strength yes. and an innate mm-hmm. sense of strength, mm-hmm. because I, I hate to say it, but, you know, in this... I'm stereotyping a bit, but the stereotype is based on reality. We've got a bunch of uh, fragile, I mean, I, I was teaching in the graduate school, and I had kids who couldn't handle uh, a healthy debate without almost having, um, like, collapsing into the fetal position. Yeah, that's and ridiculous. I, and I was scratching my head wondering, how did this 22-year-old make it through university without being able to look you in the eyes and, and, and have an intellectual conversation mm-hmm. and, and being triggered and, and emotionally uh, so um, dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of that is this digital immersion that our young people have been brought up with, helicopter parenting for some reason. Um, and and I, I think we need to be protective, careful parents, but, you know, there's a bit of a fine line of smothering our children and, and you know, helping them do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of us were sort of 
you know, I know, I know I was certainly raised in a figure it out sort of mindset. Yeah. We're here to support you, but we're not going to write your school essay for you, which right. is, you're seeing a lot of now with yes. these uh, kids mm-hmm. who can't handle things oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're referencing the book Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Right. They talk a lot about yep. Yep. Um, fragility. Yep. And yes, and and that is such an important point. And I know that being in the school education world, people used to talk about Helicopter parents now, you know, the term I think is lawnmower parents, and, you know, nice. so, right. and thankfully at Liberty, we don't have many of those, but they are more commonplace today. And, um, you know, I do think the socialization of kids, I had a social sociology professor, professor back in the 19, mid 1980s predict this, actually, he said, you know, our families are smaller now. And he said, I am very concerned about over socialization of children by their parents, because parents are only having two, three four kids, whereas back before birth control, of course, there was many. And I thought it was an interesting, I was young, I was in my early 20s when I heard him talk about this. And I thought, oh, that seems kind of extreme. (laughs) And here we are this many years later. And and, and the other talks and the other huge talks that we're seeing in public schools now, and I'm I'm sure you're seeing it less in your school. So now it's the it's the brainwashing of uh, social media. It's it's everything from the gender dysphoria epidemic, which is ridiculous. That we're we're in this path now where up is down, and 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 it's a it's a gaslighting of our society to be sort of confusing children with genuine psychiatric disorder. You know, so now because I've written quite a lot about so, so the digital social contagion effect, you have psychiatrically unwell influencers. Forget the Kylie Jenner's and the Kardashians mm-hmm. where their toxic values. That's one level of a problem. So you have influencers, so-called influencers, who, let's face it, probably do have more of an influence on young people than their parents or their uh, pastors or their coaches. Um, but now you have, it's this an, an unbelievable phenomenon to me. You have uh, TikTok influencers who have borderline personality disorder, gender dysphoria, yes. uh, dissociative identity disorder, who are getting billions of views and now whose followers are mimicking their psychiatric unwellness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, such a, it's such a social contagion. And I, this is the one that I'm most recently screaming from the rooftops from. Yes. Is if you have a vulnerable young person who hasn't been trained in the classics to critically think and have their own uh, intrinsic sense of identity and values... Well, now you've got this tabula rasa empty vessel mm-hmm. that's being filled and shaped by the toxic toxic influences of the digital ether. Yes, and and that's where where I think the philosopher warrior archetype has to come in. Our our young our children need to know this is who I am. These are my values. These are this is my identity. I'm rooted in either whatever my faith may be, my cultural identity, mm-hmm. um, my my biological identity. I never thought I'd have to say that. Right. Um, and, and this gives me a sense of bearing and mooring because if I don't have that root system, then I'm drifting and people that tend to drift. And now this goes back to addictive disorders because I strongly believe addiction for many people, as it was for me early on, was a crisis of meaning and purpose, uh, mm-hmm. not having a clear sense of direction in life, mm-hmm. uh, feeling empty. And so, so many of the young people that I work with today will say, I feel empty. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. we're suffering through what I think a crisis of emptiness. And they're eating all this digital candy that is not nourishing their soul or their um, intellect or their minds in nourishing ways that we really need to be grounded and healthy. It's all these YouTube nonsense videos and influencer nonsense, and it's just all so toxic. 
if you don't have a grounded young person. Mm. Mm. So well said. So well said. Go ahead, Abigail. I'm just, I'm just, honestly, I'm thinking through the, and so I have Dr. Carderas, I have younger children, they're younger in this, on the spectrum, and so it works for us right now to just say, you don't, I, they don't even touch a phone. Um, they don't touch a right, tablet. Right. Uh, but we are approaching, you know, an age where I know I need to start figuring out how do we manage when, you know, uh, when they're fr- they start saying, well, my friends have one, which that that's yeah. fine. Well, y'all, your friends can do whatever, but they're not my children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to parents who are trying to be intentional and thinking about how yeah. do I set my child up? You know, we all know we're not going back. We're not going to be Amish. You know, that's we are right. not driving right. horses and buggies, but. How do well-intentioned parents protect their kids, and but not overprotect? Like you said, how, where where do we give that space for them, and at what age to to practice? Um, because I think your your book, Glow Kids, it you do a really wonderful job. And listeners, um, don't be overwhelmed by the sound of all the amazing scientific studies that he cites. He does do that, but he. I will say again, as as a working parent with four young kids, I found it very readable. It was something you can kind of pick up, highlight portions, and then put down and come back to later. And it's incredibly worth your time. Um, but and so in that book, you do a really nice job of of talking about kind of the average child, the the harms or the concerns yeah. of tech on an average child. But you do also talk about some of the more extreme cases that you've worked with. So what advice would you give to those of us that are more in the average range of, uh, okay, we don't want to be the lawnmower parent, (laughs) but, you know, but we, but we are seeing that this can cause real harm. Where is that? Where is the line there? Well, I'm I'm in the fight as well. I'm I'm the father of 16 year old twin boys. And so I've just, my wife and I've just gone through it as, as parents as well. So I'm a I'm an educator and a clinician, but I'm also a parent as well. So I'm, uh, I, I get the, it's probably one of the most challenging times to be a parent because mm-hmm. because of the realities that we're talking about. So I think the best advice originally uh, or initially would be delay, delay, delay as much as possible because mm-hmm. um, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube once you've taken it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a wait until eighth movement that I'm a fan of. If you can wait until eighth grade before giving a portable device to your kid. Now, my kids use desktops through, you know, fifth and sixth grade. They use a desktop computer in their classroom. They didn't have any portable devices. We allowed them to get a uh, Gab phone when they were in eighth grade. Um, and the Gab phone, some of your listeners may know or may not know, it, it looks like a smartphone, so they don't have to get, you know, stigmatized for having the, God forbid, the flip phone. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's not Wi-Fi compatible, so there was no gaming or social media. They, you could text, and they were able to call. Oh. But uh, and so, so, the, so the Gab phone, I'm a big fan I've of. I've never heard G-A-B- of that. That's great. Yeah. yeah, G-A-B-B, Gab phone. And so there, that's a phone intended for exactly what we're talking about. It's for kids to kind of be able to have a phone, but to not be able to do all the problematic things on the phone mm-hmm. and you know and and developing and trying to raise as much as possible a balanced young person who's involved in sports and music and you know i believe sports is a big antidote because if you have a kid who's drawn to sports they're going to be less inclined to want to sit in the basement in front of their computer all day so mm-hmm. we got our kids involved in a lot of sports and they they took to that 
we did get them iPhones uh, last year. There, there were uh, at the end of so there were juniors in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, and what my wife and I were, were ecstatic about. Well, it was a victory and it was a loss. What we're, we're ecstatic about is they did not ask. They haven't had their not on any social media, nor do they game. Wow, they have that's friends fantastic. who game, but they just doesn't appeal to them. We, I think we got past that hurdle. Now, do they go on their phone and might watch a inane, stupid YouTube video of you know somebody dropping a watermelon off of a bridge or something <laughs> like that? They they have fallen prey to that. Where I'll have to say, oh my God, you're losing IQ points by the minute. <laughs> watermelons being dropped off of a bridge. But I remember watching the Three Stooges as a kid as well. So you know, I can't sure. totally. Um, so so in that sense, we're trying to. But I think we got, because we delayed giving them that, it gave them, they, de- they were a little bit further developed. They were yeah. able to now kind of moder- moderate it and, and, and reconnect with the sports. What I've seen when the parents drop the tablet into the fifth grader's lap or the iPhone into the fourth and fifth graders, that's when you see it's Russian roulette, whether your child develops okay or not. Now, for the parents who have already I don't want to say made the mistake, but did the well-intentioned, but maybe not ideal scenario where they gave technology to their kids too young. It doesn't mean you have to raise the white flag. You can you can try to undo that. It's more challenging, admittedly, but now you need to be more intentional with guardrails and with limit limitations and with when and how. Mm-hmm. You can't just have unfettered screen time because mm-hmm. that because of the nature of the devices and what we talked about with how it impacts the brain, children just don't have the brakes to say no mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. Left to their own devices, they'll be left to their own devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm glad. I'm going to repeat that phone again, the the Gab, G-A-B-B phone that is a smartphone-looking yeah. phone, but it does not attach to Wi-Fi. That seems like a great intermediate step for maybe middle school age right. kids where they're really right. kind of right. wanting to have that look, but... Um, you know, you don't want to give them a flip phone so that they're not ostracized, I guess. Um, I'd like to circle back to something that um, we kind of touched on, I think actually in episode one, and that was um, how technology impacts memory. Because as you're talking about, I love that you said to your kids, Mm -hmm. well, every time you watch a stupid YouTube video, you're losing IQ points. Um, But that reminded me that you really do believe and and have research that shows that this overuse of technology can impact children's and probably adults' memories as well. Um, Can you talk about the both the short-term and the long-term brain health um, a memory impact on yeah. probably both children and adults. Yeah. You know, before in the last episode, we talked about attention being a developmental window and a developmental process. So is memory and memory formation. And the part of the brain that really is devoted to memory is the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. And the amygdala is devoted to emotional memory, but the hippocampus is really the, the, the brain part of the brain, the brain muscle, let's call it, that really is devoted to memory. Mm-hmm. And one interesting, really interesting study from the London School of Economics that looked at a, a memory study, it looked at, um, in London, to take, to be able to drive a taxi, you have to pass a, uh, an exam called the knowledge. And the knowledge is essentially a memorization exam, which is considered more difficult than the MCATs, the medical boards, mm-hmm. to get into. It's they, Typically, the average... Uh, aspiring London cab driver has to study for this four to five years really? it's memorizing essentially 10,000 streets because London doesn't have any uniform uh, street numbering system. 
And so huh. you have to memorize every side street, every alley, every loop, and, and it's a memorization test. And huh. so at the London School of Economics, they did an fMRI on a bunch of people that were about to prepare their multi-year memorization process to take this exam. So they did a pre-fMRI. Mm-hmm. And then after they took the exam four or five years later, they did a follow-up fMRI. And the folks that, who had passed the exam who were using their memory muscle every day um, had a hippocampus that was almost twice the size wow. of the folks um, uh, from the, when they started. And these were people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. These weren't kids. Wow. And, and so that study spoke pretty powerfully to the fact of sort of a use it or lose it uh, uh, capability. And mm-hmm. when I do my uh, speaking at conferences, I'll ask the audience, how many of you can tell me 10 phone numbers without looking at your phone? Mm. And usually out of like two or 300 people, maybe two or three raise their hands. And usually it's the phone numbers from childhood. Yep, Yep. Uh, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Right. Most people today have outsourced their memory to their smartphone. They don't use their memories. And so it atrophies for the same reason that they tell dementia patients or Alzheimer's patients to play Sudoku and to do crossword puzzles. Uh, You have to keep that part of your brain active or else it Mm -hmm. begins to atrophy. That's what's happened with our memory. It's begun to atrophy because we're, we've outsourced so m- much of it, including our memory, to our smartphones. Mm, that is really interesting. And, you know, I've actually noticed that even in myself. I used to be an amazing speller. And mm. just the other day, I was writing something, and I thought, well, that doesn't quite look right, but I can't remember how it's spelled. And so then yep. I put it into my phone yep. and sure enough, it popped up and I went, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I forgot how to spell that word. Like I know right. how to spell that word, you know, and that, that, that's happened. That's exactly that's happened to me also where a spell check is again. Yeah. Yes. Uh, dampened our spelling ability. It has. It has. And, you know, we're we're one of those schools that actually still teaches spelling and spelling rules in schools. But many schools aren't even bothering to teach spelling and spelling rules because of spell check, which is even worse because then they don't even have the foundation of good spelling habits but well, um, and they, they used to say that with calculators like if you give a kid a calculator they're not going to learn the multiplication tables and there's some truth to that mm-hmm. you know there's some truth to it. if you become calculator dependent or yeah. uh map quest dependent you're not going to be able to use a map or a calculator we, we're outsourcing things but that's to our developmental detriment you mm-hmm. know um mm-hmm. we went on the road trip it's funny but my wife is almost more militant about this than i am you know she was she was like we're going to use a map no matter i'm like oh. what <laughs> <laughs> The GPS is right there. Let's, I understand what you're trying to do here, but... Uh. Well, that, I just have to laugh because my husband, within a week of us getting married, and this was... I didn't. I had a dumb phone when we got mm-hmm. married years ago, and um, and he said, honey, I think we should go get you an iPhone. And I said, babe, I'm not that important. I don't need email on my phone. He said, oh, that's not what no. I'm talking about. I, I would feel much more comfortable if you had GPS because... <laughs> It's true. I could get lost in a paper bag. So your wife, your wife would maybe leave me stranded because I, I still can't, I can't right. read a map. It's pretty sad. Yeah. yeah. But maybe it's a right. skill I should work on learning. Right. Well, right. we, we are down to our last minute here. And, um, so I don't, I, I, I'm so tempted to raise a whole, a whole different topic, um, related to this, but I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to resist the temptation. Um, but I would really encourage our, Listeners to, uh, pick up a bick, uh, a, a bick, pick up a book, <laughs> Glow Kids, and, um, Dr. K's latest book called Digital Madness, and do some of this research yourself. You know, one of the reasons why we do this show, 
Abigail and I is because we are absolutely passionate about exposing what is good and what is bad for kids in learning and in just in life. And we want students, we want children to thrive, and we know that that's what's best for America. Our our tagline is save the classroom, save the yes. country. So check out the yeah. book, Glow Kids. And we just want to say thank you again to Dr. Carderas. And a- Abigail for reaching out to him and getting Absolutely. him on our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Carter S., for your time and for sharing all of your wisdom and expertise with our listeners tonight. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. Have a great night. And you can listen to this podcast at savetheclassroom.com, savetheclassroom.com. Good night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.